The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, if you actively want to manage your blood sugar and keep your A1C as low as possible, you need to not neglect your blood sugar. You need to realize that, look, this is what I have, this is what I have to deal with, and there are certain measures that I need to take to ensure that my blood sugar is kept stable. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Good afternoon. Welcome back to the Insulone Podcast. Thank you for joining us for another episode. Hope you're well. Hope the week's been going good. Hope the blood sugars have been behaving as they're supposed to do. Graham, what's happening? I'm good on. Very good. I, I'm after getting my first haircut in nearly six months because... I was actually just about to say it to you. I only yeah. noticed that the second we started recording... It's it's you so weird having short hair again. Well, not short, short hair, but I, I had it grown so long that I had it in a man bun at the top and I had uh, attached, become attached to the man bun. And when they cut it off, I felt at a loss. It was like I had lost part of who I was. Um, but I'm getting used to the short hair again. You, you've been in the barbers, have you? I have indeed, yeah. The, the first cut now since... Oh, before Christmas, I'd say. So well over six months. Now, I'm interested in your hair, Owen, because you used to have it a little bit long on top and used to kind of comb it over to the side. But since lockdown, yeah. you started to shave it yourself. Now it is, are you getting, you're just going to shave it from now on? Because it's shaved now on top and it's kind of got a nice fade. So I'd say, what's that about? A, is that about a four or five shave on top? I think so, yeah. Yeah. And then about a... Um, and then I get, I get like just whatever as short as possible on the back and sides yeah. and can get it up but so like, what's the plan where, where are we going with the hair on i don't know I, it's, it's all up in the air really it's unpredictable uncertain just like the virus itself really isn't yeah, it? yeah yeah it's mad <laughs> everything, everything is interconnected it's crazy <laughs> yeah exactly Mental. um no i don't know i kind of like it short it's been it's not bad. it does suit you suits it because do you know what you can, you can grow a beard or stubble and that's why i can't grow a full beard just yet Maybe in a few years when I anything, unfortunately. When I grow up. <laughs> uh, tell me, how was your week? How's how's things been? Yeah, week's been good. Um, actually, there was something that I wanted to say. I haven't told you about it, but was it the last podcast that we were doing that where I kind of briefly touched on 
how I went about eating my pizza. Yes. Yes. Okay. So that pizza that I had that I was talking about in the last episode was fine. But I had that pizza again just is a, the weekend just gone. Okay. Right? So did you get the chicken dippers as well? I got yeah, two chicken wings. Reg, yes. Traditional chicken wings, boneless chicken wings, yes. and then a chicken pizza. <laughs> yes. But basically got the exact same order so that I knew how predictable it would be in terms of insulin doses and timing, right? Yeah. Because we all know it can be very unpredictable eating takeout food compared to food that you cook. So I was like, grand, I'll get the exact same thing. I know exactly how much insulin to take, what time to take it, and I'll be sailing because it worked out really well the last time. So what I had done was I split my dose, my total insulin dose into three parts over, I think it was like a six hour period because with the high fat, high carb, obviously particularly high fat, it's completely slowing down that digestion. So that's why you're getting that delayed spike. So I was like, Grant, I have this one in the bag. I know, I know exactly what to do. So what I did was took the first dose, was fine. Took the second dose, I think about two hours later. So this is probably, I'd say maybe eight units of insulin with the two doses. And yeah. then the next dose, the third one, the third and final one, which was going to be another two hours after that, was another, I think, three or four units of insulin. I can't really remember exactly. But what happened was I took the two, was stable. I went to bed, had an, had an alarm set for my third dose. But what happened was I knocked out the second I hit the pillow. Oh, no. Didn't wake up from the reminder for the third dose. And didn't wake up from my high blood sugar alert from my CGM. So I woke up the next morning and my blood sugars were like 14.5 or something. Um, So, yeah. And I woke up as if I had, I'd been on the drink the night before about 10, 15 pints, you know, head pumping, wrecked. But just goes to show you if, if something slips, you can easily be thrown off yeah it's so annoying because you were already prepared for it and you were using the your past experiences but it was just the fact that you just were so tired and just conked out and it was Ah. annoying too because recently i suppose the past few weeks it's taken me like an hour an hour and a half to actually fall asleep when i get into bed usually i'm like gone yeah but the past few weeks i've just kind of been lying there for a while and the one night that, that i need to stay awake to take that insulin gone so i woke up about 14.5 millimoles and i was like oh did you wait sorry did you wake up in the middle of the night or did you wake up in the morning no i didn't wake up till the morning because usually i'd sleep stable yeah but then just slept through it didn't even wake up from the alarms nightmare well what can you do right let's move on to this week's topic five ways to lower your a1c owen briefly describe to me what a1c is yeah so an a1c is Basically, simply put, your average blood sugar over an extended period of time. It could be two, three months, six months, nine months. But basically, when you get your A1C checked, it is the average blood sugar reading over X amount of time. So, obviously, 
the lower that you can get that or the more in range that that can be, the better. Because over time, you don't want your A1C to be high because that's what will lead to, over time, potential complications. So that essentially is like the most important report that we get as a diabetic. It's like how we're doing over that period of time. Now, what can actually be slightly confusing with it is like, for me, of course, like, of course, your A1C is really important. But your time and target range in terms of your blood sugar readings per day or over whatever, say, three months is extremely important too. Because if you have like up and down and up and down and up and down blood sugars, when you get your A1C, because it's the average, that can be evened out slightly. Yeah. So ideally, you want to have your time and target range as high as possible, percentage-wise. You want to be in range as much as you can. So ideally, between four and eight millimoles per liter and like, what is it, 72 to 144 milligrams per deciliter. So, but again, the A1C is your average over X amount of time. Cool. What do you, what's your A1C? I actually can't remember the last... Um, so is the A1C, is that what you get from your doctor or is it you kind of keep control? Yeah, of so when you go in and get, you get blood tests yeah. over like, say, three months, six months, um, and that's your average one. Okay. I actually can't remember what my last one was. Probably not my best one over the years because that was just after I came back from New York. So it probably okay. wasn't as uh, as good as it had been previously and as it would be now. But... Basically, as I said, your A1C is very important because that will indicate, again, your average blood sugar over whatever period of time. And it's important that we're doing what we can do every day and every week and every month and every year to to make sure that that A1C is kept as low as possible. Well, let's get into it. Five ways to lower your A1C. What would be your first way? So I was actually doing a few notes for this episode and I was I was trying to list out a couple of things that would come to mind that we could obviously touch on. And I want it to be five, obviously, for this episode, so we don't it's not too long or too much to to take in. But I do think that we should do another episode on it because yeah. the five that I have here will definitely help people, but there are definitely more too that I could point out. But these are the ones that I've decided to put, to put into this episode. And I hope they help you. The Fantastic Five, what they'll be known as. There you go. <laughs> anyway, the first one. But firstly, what I need to point out is, before we get into the first one, is it's very important that you don't deny the fact that you're diabetic. And what I mean by that is, you can't manage something that you don't acknowledge, right? And there are a lot of people that might not be you because you're listening to the podcast and listening to a diabetic podcast is a good indication of the fact that you're taking it on board, that it's pretty important. But if you actively want to manage your blood sugar and keep your A1C as low as possible, you need to not neglect your blood sugar. 
you need to realize that, look, this is what I have. This is what I have to deal with. And there are certain measures that I need to take to ensure that my blood sugar is kept stable. All right. Just quickly before we get into the one, I have a really important question. Did you get a new chair since the last time we recorded? You're damn right I did. I've never seen Class, Owen. I, I, I can't underestimate how comfortable Owen looks. <laughs> yeah. he, has, he has a new chair, which is a high back, which goes up to the back of his head. I've never seen this chair before. And I noticed there's something different about Owen. He seems a lot more relaxed this week. He is just leaning back. He's swinging. <laughs> he's, there's, a, there's an air of more confidence about you in that chair. It's kind of like a CEO's chair or something. Of course, you are the CEO of the Insulone podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But my God, there's, a, there's an aura about you. I love it. I can't describe how comfortable this chair is. I can, like, I can see. It's, it's so funny. <laughs> I think there's something you know different about that. There's something different when I was watching you talk there. I go, there's something different. I asked that chair. It's on, I actually, I always enjoy the work that I do, but <laughs> since I got this chair last week, I want to sleep in the chair. And it just makes everything so much better. Um, so, Graham, sorry, get yourself a new sorry, chair. Sorry, sorry. I, well, my chair is so crap. But uh, <laughs> yes, go on. Number yeah, one, uh, we digress. Before I was rudely interrupted. Number Apologies. one, and what I've touched on in this podcast plenty of times before, and something I will continue to touch on are my three A's. So that's number one, right? My three A's are awareness, anticipation, action. And this essentially boils down to you living consciously with your diabetes. And what do I mean by that is we can be in such a steady routine of doing the things that we always do, taking this insulin, taking, eating this food, doing this exercise, whatever it may be, or not doing this exercise or not taking this amount of insulin. And because we can have this condition for so long, we can sometimes be caught up in just doing things because it's what we've always done even though it might not necessarily be the best thing for our blood sugar or for our health or for our mood and energy so the three a's means that you think about what you're doing you think about the insulin that you're taking and why you think about the exercise that you're doing and why you think about the food that you're eating and why pretty much everything we do is going to have some impact on our blood sugar. And the three A's of awareness, anticipation, and action give you the ability to realize what's going on, what to expect, and how I can potentially prevent as many highs and lows in the future before they happen. Right. So awareness is the first one. Awareness, as I said, is understanding what you're doing. Taking X amount of insulin with x type of food and your blood sugar does what does your blood sugar stay stable does your blood sugar go high does your blood sugar go low being aware of a certain dose or exercise or food sleep stress gives you the opportunity to know okay for next time i need to take less insulin for next time i need to take more insulin for next time i should stop exercising after 45 minutes, whatever it may be. So awareness, anticipation, like I said, is expecting what's to come based on your previous experience. And then action is probably the most important part because action is you making the change to benefit your blood sugar. Action is saying, 
okay, from past experience, every time I've gone out for a run or every time I've gone out for a walk, my blood sugar has dropped. Why has it dropped? What did I do that caused the drop or what did I not do to cause the drop? So action then is saying, right, I need to take less insulin or I need to have a snack without insulin before the walk to keep me steady. So being aware, anticipating, anticipating what's to come and then having the confidence to take action to change it. If you want more on that, we went really in depth on that in episode number 20, the three A's of diabetes management. What about the second way to lower your A1C on? So number two, and something that is really, 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 really important. All the points are important, but this one stands out to me is understanding your insulin, understanding your basal rates, which is your long lasting insulin that you take and understanding your fast acting mealtime insulin. And I suppose it's onset times. All right. If we're taking two types of insulin every day, which is essentially a hormone that keeps us alive too much can kill us not enough can kill us that's just the reality of it so understanding our insulin timings is so important particularly with the fast acting insulin all right so if you don't understand the fact that all right i'll use myself for an example because i take nova rapid which is my fast acting mealtime insulin because i know the onset times of insulin, because I have a good idea of how sensitive I am to my insulin, because I understand my insulin to carb ratios, essentially I can eat whatever I want and keep my blood sugar pretty stable. So understanding your insulin is knowing that, okay, if I take Nova Rapid, the onset time of Nova Rapid is 15 minutes, generally. So that means that when I eat my food, if I take my insulin right before I eat, I'm inevitably going to see a blood sugar spike because my insulin is going to take 15 minutes. If I don't have that 15 minutes, my food is going to spike my blood sugar before my insulin's active. So that's why if you're seeing spikes, regardless of the insulin to carb ratio, regardless of the food you're eating, regardless of the time you're eating at, if you're seeing that up and then down, that proves that your insulin dose is probably spot on if you're coming back down and staying within range. But if you're going up and coming back down, it proves that you, well, it it indicates that you just need to pull back that insulin timing. So to give an example, I won't eat unless my insulin has been taken at least 15 minutes before my first bite of food. Because that 15 minutes is your insulin kind of getting going. Because it needs that 15 minutes to do its thing so that it can counteract the food that you eat pretty much at the same time. Because you want, let's say, your glucose from the food and your insulin pulling at the same time. And if they're pulling at the same time, that's what leads to your blood sugar staying as stable as you can. I remember it was your chat with Christelle. Um, I think it was episode 53. You talked about loads of different topics, but one of them was understanding your insulin. And that was such a good conversation as well. So again, if you want even more knowledge about understanding your insulin and you haven't checked out Christelle, I think it was 53, definitely do. 
We're moving on. Halfway mark. Number three, Owen. What are we saying? Number three. Something that I'm big into and something that is just a non-negotiable for your day is moving. Mm. Moving, movement, exercise. It's the number one way to increase your insulin sensitivity. Now, I kind of put myself at an advantage because I've always loved to exercise. I've always loved sport. I've always loved kind of whatever, running and just being active. So because I enjoy it, it's easier for me to do it consistently. And I fully understand that. I fully appreciate the fact that some people may not like exercise as much as other people do. But there are so many different types of exercise that I can guarantee you there's something that you enjoy. Exercise doesn't have to be going to the gym five or six days a week. It doesn't have to be playing football. It doesn't have to be going out for a run. It could just be going out for a 30-minute walk. Well, I remember in last week's episode with Brendan, and he was talking about how the gyms are closed, the ice was closed, he couldn't play ice hockey, and he said he just kind of tweaked his, his day a little bit, and he went out for a walk after eating. And he says had such a good impact on his uh, diabetic management. Yeah, 100%. It's just a slight bit of movement. Like Brendan said last week, because he's obviously big into his ice hockey and training a lot. So that was a big adjustment for him for the, the ice rinks and stuff to be closed. A simple 15, 20 minute walk can work wonders on your blood sugar. And the great thing about exercise is it has the potential to impact your blood sugar for up to 24 to 36 hours after you exercise. So it's not like if I go out for a run, my blood sugar is only going to be affected for like the hour after my run. My blood sugar and my insulin sensitivity, well, my insulin sensitivity can be increased for a day after that. So if you even get yourself in the routine of exercising like three or four days, or you go for a half an hour walk three or four days a week, something so simple can have such a positive impact on your blood sugar. And I had touched on it before and I said, I can't remember, I think it was with a guest, but I can't remember specifically who it was. But I was saying how managing our blood sugar and keeping our A1C down and keeping our time and range where we want it to be doesn't require anything drastic or dramatic. What it boils down to is doing the simple things consistently. Mm. Being disciplined with the simple things like going out for a walk or exercising, even if you don't want to, because I can guarantee you, if you're not in the mood to exercise and you go out and exercise, you're going to feel better afterwards. It's the initial putting on your shoes, like Sebastian said a few episodes ago, who has climbed Mount Everest. Even he was saying, there are days where the hardest part is just putting on my shoes. Because once you're out there, you feel great. You, you boost your mood and then you come back and your insulin sensitivity is going to be increased. So movement, exercise is so, so important. And on top of that, the fact that it boosts your mood, all the other shit that you have to deal with with diabetes is a lot easier. Even not specifically related to diabetes. When you're in a good mood, things that might normally frustrate you don't frustrate you as easily so if you're exercising consistently through the week and your mood is boosted and your endorphins are flying you just feel good after it the little things 
about diabetes won't frustrate you as much. You might not react as emotionally to a high. You might not react as emotionally to a low because you're in a better mood. But we we actually go into, I can't remember what episodes they are, Graham, but we've gone into obviously much greater detail about different types of exercises and how they will impact your blood sugar in different episodes of the podcast. So could be high intensity interval training, could be cardio like a running or a walk or a cycle or resistance training, weight training. And resistance training and weight training are the number one way to increase your insulin sensitivity. 100%. Those episodes especially, we kind of kicked off 2021 with those and they are must listen to. I think when we asked for people to kind of send in questions and comments and stuff, a lot of people reference those those specific episodes and they are 46, 47 and 48. They kind of come as a, a package, the three of them. Definitely worth a listen if you haven't listened to them yet. Let's go from number three of moving more to number four. What do we have as the fourth way to lower your A1C? Number four is eat good food. Right, This one's pretty obvious, but it's one of the most difficult ones, right? Because food, eating food and eating types of food that we enjoy is a great pleasure, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and we all know the types of food that we can eat that don't have a hugely negative impact on our blood sugar. And we also know the foods that will have a negative impact on our blood sugar. And obviously from this podcast and listening to it, it's quite clear that I'm a big believer in the fact that you can do and eat whatever you want with type 1 diabetes. Like you can. When you understand your insulin, when you understand your insulin to carb ratios, when you exercise, all these kind of things, you can do whatever you want. You can eat whatever you want, but that doesn't mean that you always should. And it's important that the vast majority of your daily diet consists of quote unquote good food, food that is rich in vitamins and minerals that isn't just crap that's going to spike your blood sugar loads or lead to unpredictable delayed spikes. There are 42 confirmed factors that impact our blood sugar. But the number one factor that's going to have the most immediate impact is the food that you eat. Like the food that we eat directly impacts our blood sugar within 10, 15, 20 minutes. So if you're constantly eating random foods at random times and don't understand the food that you're eating, don't carb count correctly and don't understand your insulin ratios or your insulin timing. It's very, very, very difficult to keep your blood sugar in that target range that we all want. So if you try and stick to an 80-20 rule, so let's say 80% of your daily diet consists of good food, like fruits, vegetables, proteins, say fiber rich carbohydrate that won't have a massively negative impact on your blood sugar that won't cause those massive spikes and big drops when you're trying to correct them and then the other 20 percent can be the foods that you really enjoy so it could be your chocolates your crisps your whatever it is whatever you enjoy but 
even when you're eating the foods that you enjoy, if you can balance them with something else, that can help naturally reduce the spikes that you see. So any meal that you have, if you try and balance it with proteins, carbs, fats, it's completely different to you just eating a bowl of white rice. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, because if you eat a bowl of white rice that has fats, protein, fiber, the other macronutrients are going to help reduce the impact on your blood sugar. It's an obvious one because we, we're all told from a very, very young age, like these are foods that are good for you. These are foods that aren't so good for you. I don't like saying there are good and bad foods, but there are foods that have a very different impact on your blood sugar compared to other ones. And then in addition to that, drink more water. That's so important. And I say that, I say that to anybody I work with, I'd say 10 times a day, <laughs> make sure you're drinking water. How much water do you drink in a day? At, at least three liters. Three, yeah. Uh, are you constantly advised. going to the toilet? Uh, no, not really. Not as much up? as I was when I was getting ready to be diagnosed. <laughs> Do you wake up in the middle of the night to go to the toilet? And um, no, sometimes. All right, then I may need to go oh, get, get my blood sugars checked. I'm, I'm be the day. constantly getting up in the middle of the night to go to the toilet. Are you? I honestly, like, it, it is a joke in my house. People go, are you sure you're not diabetic? Because I, I go to the toilet so much. But it's been a thing for me for years. It, when I'm at festivals, I always have to be near port I'm just, I just have a tiny bladder. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. Yeah, yeah. It's um, more so, wouldn't have happened at um, Lost and Found when we went to Malta together, but more so, I think the older oh, I've got, unfortunately, <laughs> the more I've got. You're, going, you're, going, you're going in the right direction. <laughs> but yeah, I'll have, I'll get up in the middle of the night about three in the morning and I'll have two before I go to bed. Well, really? One before I start reading my book, reading book half an hour, get up, go again go to sleep, wake up about six hours, go, and then wake up two hours later and go. No way. Yeah, yeah. I, I know like, you're probably sick of me saying this, but I would love if you got diabetes. <laughs> and I like, I'm watching the emails coming through and a couple are trickling in going, hope you get diabetes, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I just think it'd be so funny. It would be so funny. <laughs> right. Yeah. Number four was food and water as well. Water, very important. Absolutely. If you're not drinking water right now, Pause the podcast, go get a glass of water and start <laughs> drinking it. It's so important. And finally, for now, because I know we want to come back to this topic again. What is, for this episode, the fifth way to lower your A1C? So the fifth and final for this episode is prioritizing your overnight blood sugar and your sleep. And this can be a tricky one because... When we're asleep, we're asleep. We can't do what we need to do to prevent highs or lows potentially before they happen because we're asleep. So that's the difference when we're awake. And particularly if we have a CGM, you know, we can see where our bloods are going. We can see the patterns. We can see the trends. And hopefully we can prevent highs and lows before they occur. But with sleep, Sometimes people can easily neglect it because it's like, ah, I'm going to sleep. I'm going to hope for the best. Hopefully my blood will stay stable and I'll get a good night's sleep. But the way that I look at it, and I say this to people that I work with all the time, it's like 
the reality of it is we're asleep for what a third of our lifetime if we're a type 1 diabetic and we're asleep for a third of our lifetime even over 10 years if we don't prioritize our blood sugar overnight we could be sleeping through the night with high blood sugars consistently and we know over time if we're sleeping with high blood sugars and we have high blood sugars for a third of our day for 5 10 15 20 30 years it's not going to be good for our health so prioritizing your blood sugar and doing what you need to do to keep them as stable as possible through the night is very 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 important and it's not just your overnights and going back to my incident with the pizza the other day it's the six seven eight hours that you're asleep that your blood sugar might not be at an optimal range but it's also leading into the next day and i know even from my experience over the years when i start my day with a really high blood sugar or like fighting lows through the night it's very difficult to get yourself back where you need to be it's very difficult to physically get your blood sugar consistently in in that range that you want but it's also difficult to not be very annoyed by that you know like when i when i woke up the other morning after falling asleep on my last dose for the pizza I didn't feel good physically, but I was also like, oh, I was was kind of raging, you Mm. know? And I, I, I never react emotionally to my bloods because I know it's as a result of something that I need to understand why it has happened. But first thing in the morning, obviously I check my blood sugar. And when, if I see that it's not where I want it to be, I'm like, oh, great. You know, it's not an ideal start to the day, but even just specifically going back to like, the health reasons of sleeping through the night in range over time it's very important so don't neglect your overnight blood sugars just because you're asleep through the night so try to have a steady enough routine or a predictable routine that you can stick to each evening so that you know you're doing all that you need to do to keep your blood sugar as stable as you can So what I like to do, and this could give people a couple ideas, is that I'll always try and have my last meal or last piece of food two or three hours before I go to bed. Now, I don't always do that because sometimes I could be busy and I haven't eaten that much through the day. But ideally, have my last meal two to three hours before I go to bed, for the most part, gives my blood sugar an opportunity to kind of settle. Mm Mm-hmm before i go to sleep so let's say i'm going to bed at 12 o'clock if i have my last meal at like even eight or nine by the time i go to bed at 12 i have a good idea of where my blood sugar will be through the night so if i'm going to bed at 12 and the last meal i had was at nine and i'm high when i go to bed i can correct that And I know that I've no more food in my system, so that I'll probably then stay stable for the night. Whereas if I'm if I'm going to bed at 12 and I'm inhaling a pizza or I'm inhaling even just any food Mm -hmm. or any particularly say like a high carb dinner or something, and I'm taking insulin for that, if I don't get my insulin dose absolutely spot on 
I'm either going to sleep through the night high or I'm going to wake up at 3 a.m. with a low blood sugar. So the room for error when you are having a meal close to bedtime is a lot smaller than if you're eating a meal during the day. Because like I said earlier, if I'm having a meal during the day, if I go high or if I go low, I can correct it because I'm awake and I'm conscious and I'm aware. But if I'm asleep and my blood sugar goes high, I could sleep the whole night high. Or the other side of that, I could plummet through the night. Both not ideal, (laughs) you know? Yeah, so what I'm kind of gathering is just because when you're awake and going high and going low feels shit, just because you're asleep and you're probably not going through it mentally, your body still is going through it. So just because you're not feeling the effects of it because you are asleep doesn't mean that it should be neglected, which I think is a very good point because you could easily just go, ah, it's fine. I don't have to put up with it when I'm asleep, but that isn't good enough because your body still has to go through it and then could screw you for the next day. Absolutely. Yeah. And as well, if our, if our blood sugar is up and down or unpredictable through the night, that's going to have a massively negative impact on our sleep. Because if I'm waking up at 3 a.m. in the morning with a low, not, I'm not really getting a good night's sleep. Mm. And then I'm raiding the kitchen and eating whatever. And then as a result of that, it's like a rebound high. So I think trying to introduce, if you don't already, try to introduce a simple enough nighttime routine. Say to yourself, right, I'll try and have my last meal even two or three hours before I go to bed so that I can correct any highs or lows before I do go to bed. And hopefully you can you can have a good night's sleep. I think that is it. Let's go through them really quickly. Number one, the three A's. Number two, understanding your insulin. Number three, just moving a little bit more. Number four, eating good food. And of course, water. And number five, prioritizing your overnights and sleep. Hopefully that has been helpful to you listening. You've picked up a couple of tips. We've mentioned a couple of other podcasts in there as well. If you haven't listened, go check them out. Maybe you've already listened to them months ago. Re-listen. Why not? And we will be back on with more ways to lower your A1C. I suppose you went out to write them today and then you realize, oh, wait, there's loads of ways we can do, but let's stick with five. Exactly. It's nice and uh, digestible, we'll say. Exactly. We want to keep these podcasts relatively short, simple to understand, easy to follow, and to be able to outline actionable ways so that if you're listening, you can say, oh, I need to try that, or I should give that a go, or that didn't work for me, or that might work for me. And it's funny because anytime I'm chatting with clients, I'll repeat myself so much. I'll repeat the important things because I want it just ingrained in their Mm. heads. And I touched on it briefly in this episode, but I just want to say it again. Keeping our blood sugar stable and managing our blood sugar and optimizing our diabetes management as best we can and trying to get our A1C into that range that we want doesn't require anything drastic. It doesn't require anything dramatic. There's no magic pill that can work wonders for you. What it boils down to is doing the simple things consistently and being disciplined with the simple things. And to give you an example, again, of what they could be each and every day are pre-bolus, understand your insulin, move 
aim for something like 10,000 steps a day. It can be a lot, but it's good for you. Drink loads of water. Prioritize your sleep. Eat good food. Did I already say that? Eat good food. <laughs> no, I think and, and. Eat, eat good food. And, and, and. Is and. A what's another one? Can you think of the three A's. The three A's. The three A's. So be, live consciously and be aware of what you're doing and why you're doing it. So that tomorrow, next week, next month, you know more about your diabetes, you know more about your blood sugar so that you can get the most out of the condition. And what I loved about Brendan last week, he said, have fun with it. You know, it's kind of a strange way to look at it, but we're diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. It's not going anywhere. So how we view it, if we view it in a negative light and we hate it, it's not going to change it. So being able to have fun with it and understand it and try to focus on the positives that you can about it, make it much easier. Because if you neglect it, it's going to be a lot more difficult. The Insel Own Podcast at gmail.com. If you have any thoughts or questions from today's episode or anything at all you would like to share with us, get in contact and we will touch on those emails throughout the next couple of months and even years. The Insel Own Podcast at gmail.com. Years. If you want to check Absolutely. out the spelling, it's in the biography in the description of this podcast. And also be sure to rate and review the podcast as well. It does help it get out there and we want to get this to as many people as possible. Now, right on. Absolutely. If you listen to the podcast and you enjoy it and you think, do you know what? If I saw Owen and Graham in person, I would like to get them a coffee. A virtual coffee that you can give us is rating and reviewing the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Because it helps us reach more people, and that's obviously the goal of it. I don't understand how it does actually do that, but that's what the algorithm says anyway. The more people that rate the podcast, the more people that write write nice notes about it. I think it's really only Apple Podcasts as well. Spotify don't really allow you to rate yet, but Apple and CastBox as well, if you are on an Android. It it says it helps you get to more people. So if we can get to more people, isn't that great? Absolutely. Look, you're listening for a reason. It's helped you, I hope. And if it can help you with your blood sugar and your diabetes management, it can help somebody else. So drink the water. Drink water. There you go, Graham. Thank you for <laughs> thank you for listening. Have a good day. Have a good week. Have a good month. Well, I'll chat to you next week. And look after yourself. Chat soon. Take Bye. it easy, Graham.